0: Today, we're talking about a subject that I bring up in many of my own private sessions, and that is a healthy sense of selfishness. Is there such a thing? Is it healthy to be selfish to a certain degree? And where does that fall in terms of its importance in a romantic relationship. Can you actually be selfish in a relationship and have it be a successful one? I think my opinion might surprise you. I'm going to go over exactly what healthy selfishness is when it's defined by most people and where I take a radical right turn and kind of... You know, veer off the path of what is considered the common mentality of today. You're listening to the Relationship Revival Podcast with John DeBach, also known as Mr. Spirituality. That's me. I'm your host, giving you insights and guidance from over 10 years in the field of this amazing journey we call romance. On this show, I go over everything you need to know about how to get into a relationship, how to get the most out of a relationship, and sometimes even how to gracefully end a relationship without pulling your hair out and going crazy. And occasionally, I'm even joined by new and old friends who are also relationship experts to bring you guidance and wisdom with new perspectives. Thanks for stopping by. Healthy selfishness. Now, I think that we can all agree that there's a very uh, uh, a very accepted idea that most selfishness is unhealthy. If all you think about is yourself and you never uh, take into consideration other people, and on top of that, if you also think about yourself and put yourself first at the sacrifice of other people, that is obviously unhealthy. So when people talk about healthy selfishness, in today's culture, what they're normally talking about, what they're normally referring to is self-care and setting healthy boundaries. So a lot of people who have a passive communication style, there are four different types of communication styles. I'm not going to go into them all right now, but there's assertive, there's passive, there's aggressive, and there's passive aggressive. They all have their own benefits, drawbacks, challenges. But passive people, people who tend to just acquiesce to whatever the person they're talking to or whatever relationship they're in, you know, they don't want it, it's easier for them to just say yes to whatever the person wants, put their needs second, and just cave. Those people have a tendency to um, to sacrifice their own health, their own emotional, health, mental, and physical health, in order to serve the person that they're in a relationship with. These people uh, also have the tendency, people who have a passive communication style, to get sucked into cults a little easier and kind of look to leadership in a very black and white way that they're right, they're wrong. So you've pro- you probably have seen or you probably even know people with this passive personality. A great risk of... Of having a passive personality is that you will sacrifice yourself for someone who is manipulative. So if you're in a relationship, a romantic relationship where someone is selfish and you are selfless in a sense um, and they keep asking you to sacrifice what brings you joy, what might be healthy for you mentally, physically, emotionally uh, so that they can be happy. That's a pretty toxic relationship. And in that case, people who are passive need to learn how to set boundaries. They need to learn how to have a sense of self care. Just like, you know, a, a Roomba, a little robot vacuum, knows when it needs to go and charge itself before it can continue vacuuming. We as people have a certain amount of energy that we can expend on anything. And when we run out of that energy, we're useless. And so, ironically, self-care, when done in the right context and within moderation, when self-care is done hel- in a healthy manner, not only are you servicing yourself because you are making sure that you have joy and balance in your life, but you're actually making yourself more useful for the person in your relationship because you're, pre- you're preventing burnout, and you're preventing yourself from being spread too thin. And I see it all the time in couples where you have a very passive partner and they just, you know, whatever the other person says goes. And what happens is eventually they take on more than they can chew. They bite off more than they can chew. And they're performing poorly on all fronts. And their partner just thinks of them as useless, that they can't get anything right. And the truth is, they can get things right, but they're just doing way too much. They might be running the carpool for their kids and paying for half the you know lifestyle and taking care of the other partner's emotional needs and doing a lot of household chores and fulfilling their sexual desires. And meanwhile, they've managed to crush their own soul down to this tiny little ball that gets stuck somewhere in their chest, hidden from view from themselves. And eventually, that thing gets so concentrated that it explodes. The person can have a panic attack. They can feel overwhelmed. Um, it often causes, you know, crazy fights down the line. And so, it's important for people who have a passive personality to learn to develop these boundaries. Um, in those cases, where I have a couple come in, and one couple is, and one one person in the couple, one of the partners, is clearly being steamrolled essentially by the other. I'll gently suggest that the two have their own individual sessions so that I can address how that partner can set boundaries, as well as on the other partner to set expectations that are realistic for that partner. A reason people are uh, so able and and willing to be manipulative and steamroll over their partner is because they don't accept that people have limitations. And this lack of acceptance is something that needs to be taught. So what does this look like? What does healthy selfishness look like, especially in someone who has a more passive personality? Well, having a self-care regimen, whether it be meditating, eating healthy, uh, exercising... And having a sense of self-respect to say, I don't want to do that. You know, I've seen this in the bedroom and I've seen this in things as simple as, you know, what kind of job the person's willing to take on. I've seen couples where someone has actually chosen an entire career path because they think it'll fit the lifestyle of the relationship more while casting aside what they really want their real dreams their real desires and if there's if it's done with a full knowledge that you're sacrificing something and you're still willing to do that it can be commendable but oftentimes what happens is they just say okay they don't discuss it they don't explore their own sense of mental health and desires and 15 years later when they realize, hey, I really wanted to be an author or a filmmaker or I really wanted to try being a pro athlete, the repression of those dreams without nurturing the sense that they've transitioned past them for one reason or another causes them to spend a tremendous amount of money down the line or have a a crazy amount of resentment towards their partner and it's not healthy. You have to, in a healthy sense of selfishness, give yourself permission to enjoy things without having to actively be helping or doing things for other people, including your own partner. If you are the kind of person who wants to go and have a milkshake by yourself and read a book every now and again while you drink that milkshake, it's important to communicate that with your partner and say, hey, today's my milkshake read day. And they might laugh and that's okay. But you know, having these funny, weird... In 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 uh, in Yiddish, we call them meshugais. You know, meshugas. It's uh, it's the idea that everybody's allowed two and a half meshugas. Everybody's allowed to have these like two and a half little weird things about themselves that they need, because there's this understanding in most people that listen... People have quirks. People have weird things that they need to connect with. And that's okay. Give it to them. Let them have time. You don't need people 24 hours a day. In fact, sometimes that longing, that distance, where you let them go do whatever craziness they need to do on their own, builds a longing for them. In the Orthodox Jewish world, they even separate physically for half the month. Uh, It's a a practice called Taharas Mishpacha, or... um, you know, nida, different terms of it. But that creates, or the idea is it creates longing. In my own practice, it doesn't create longing. In a lot of couples, it creates a lot of resentment. They don't approach it with the right mentality. But the thought is there. The thought, the the, the attempt, the concept is there. And I think there was a good intention. It's just not taught in a way where people are mature enough to to really do it consistently in a positive uh, way uh, throughout, you know, for every couple. Some people have a, a lot more struggle with it than others. Now where is this a dangerous thing this this idea of having a healthy sense of selfishness where is this dangerous and why do I get very nervous when people start throwing around these terms and the and the reason I think it's a very dangerous road to go down is because most people aren't that passive most people have especially today in this culture of social media where everything is about projecting your own self-image. I find that most people just aren't that passive. They have a healthy sense of confidence in, uh, in advocating for their own desires and their own passions. And there, there's no shortage of people telling others, do what you want. Live the life that you want to live. If your partner doesn't accept who you are, leave them. There's a lot of toxicity going around. And it's very dangerous. You know, if you get someone who's already assertive or aggressive in their communication style and you tell them, you need to be healthy selfish. You You have to learn how to practice a healthy sense of selfishness. The person's already selfish. The person already has boundaries. They don't need any more selfishness in their life. In fact, a person like that might in fact be better served by learning how to be more selfless. There is a crazy amount of data, a crazy amount of research that shows how gratitude in your life is one of the key factors in the amount of joy you have. And I got to tell you that healthy selfishness will only get you so far with gratitude. Most of the time when I have people journal and when I have my clients make lists of things they're grateful for, very, very few of the things on that list are things that you would do on your own. People don't say, when, if, if, if someone comes to my office with a list of 50 things they're grateful for, maybe three, four, five of them will be I'm grateful for my Saturdays where I read or I'm grateful for having the kind of money where I can go see a movie by myself. But the vast majority of things that people are grateful for revolve around the relationships they have in their lives. They're grateful for the friends they have. They're grateful for the family they have. They're grateful for not having to worry about where the next meal is coming from. Not that they're rich. Not that they have so much money they can take a vacation by themselves. But that they don't have to struggle in order to survive in different in different respects this could be having a safe home or having enough money for you know medical insurance or whatever but it's not this sense of luxury and that's where i see healthy selfishness getting a little bit blurred sometimes people will take it to an extreme and say well i'm gonna buy this purse why because i because it's gonna bring me joy and i need a healthy sense of selfishness no no no, listen, if you work hard and that kind of money is not going to be missed. It's not going to be earmarked towards buying a house as a couple or, you know, going on vacation as a couple which you really need to do, you know, and you both agreed to. If it's if it's just excess money and you've worked hard for it, by all means you deserve to treat yourself once in a while. But to use it as an excuse to basically just be selfish is very dangerous. It's very dangerous. Gratitude ironically has there's two there's two times where gratitude has an incredible impact. One, when you make it a regular practice and you start seeing everything in your life as a gift that has an incredible impact, an incredible impact on on people's sense of self-worth and happiness and appreciation of life, just you want eventually you want to get to a point where you're just happy to be alive. That's kind of the essence of what gratitude does. But ironically, on a neurological level, your brain actually responds more to people showing you gratitude for things you've done for them. So the gratitude other people have towards you, actually brings more joy than the gratitude you have for the things in your own life that have either come to you through hard work or through a gift or through whatever, for what, you know, happenstance, the appreciation that others have for your service, your wisdom, your knowledge, your gifts, whatever, that sense of gratitude is much stronger on a neurological level than the gratitude you might have for just being you know, healthy and having a a roof over your head. And what does that say about the human mind? What does that say about the spiritual nature of who we are? It says that joy comes really from a life where service to others is learned to be something that you identify with. Learning to be a giver. And it's one of the one of the rules I have for couples is that they need to learn that in a relationship, you have to have the intention that you're going to give more than you take. I'm not saying that you'll always do it. I'm not saying that you'll be successful at giving more into a relationship every time. And sometimes you're going to be down on your luck and need to be the receiver of the good graces of your partner. But there has to be an intention there. There has to be an intention that if you want this relationship to be healthy, both partners need to learn to give more than they take. And this is why I'm radically suspicious of people who keep talking about this healthy sense of selfishness. When it revolves around creating boundaries or self-care or having self-respect or balancing your needs with the needs of others as opposed to prioritizing others over your own needs, sometimes in a relationship, I would say oftentimes actually, it's actually important to prioritize someone else's needs over your own. And the and the simple reason is we don't actually have that many needs. Most of our needs are really wants. I mean, when you come down to it, really, really, we just want most things. What do we need for survival? A little bit of attention, food, water, shelter. That's kind of it. That's kind of it. Those are our basic needs, right? Clothing, maybe you can throw in there. I guess that falls under shelter in some ways. But Everything else, like when I hear people say I have sexual needs, not not really. No, you don't. You have sexual wants and they might be very impassioned wants and so you're confusing them for needs, but you don't have needs and there are ways to address what's realistic, what's an actual need, what do you like, and look, you should have a, a relationship where you can talk about your things you really want and come to an agreement about how the other person can help you get those, but... Really, addressing your partner's desires, your partner's wants even, and their needs over your own sometimes is quite healthy. Especially if you have a partner who recognizes the effort you're putting into that and wants to reflect that back to you. Because that's the ultimate relationship. The ultimate relationship is... I don't care if you're gay, straight, in a, in a two-person relationship or in a seven-person polyamorous relationship, whatever kind of relationship you're in, if you manage to give more than you take and the other person or people in your relationship also have a desire and a, and make a concerted effort to give more than they take and to put your needs first. If both of you are putting each other's needs first, guess what? That is a relationship that will last forever. If you have two people who constantly or more, if you have more than two people fine. But if you have a, if you have two people who constantly ask, "How can I bring this person more joy, more happiness, more convenience in their life?" over their own desires, that is a recipe for one of the greatest relationships you could ever hope for. So for me, practicing selflessness in a relationship is more important than practicing a healthy sense of selfishness. The one exception, of course, is when you already have someone who's selfless and is being manipulated by someone selfish. That's why I kind of started the conversation with You know, what what happens if someone has a very passive communication style? That's not healthy. But if you learn, and this is kind of the transformation I strive for when I'm working with individuals as a relationship coach, if you strive to learn to enjoy being a giver, and that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to become the greatest giver. And there's a sense of selfishness in becoming a giver, that is the best sense of healthy selfishness you could ever have. If your sense of healthy selfishness is to learn to give and to be a better giver and to be a better lover, then yes, that is a very sense, that is a very, very commendable sense of healthy selfishness. But changing your character to learn to be a giver is not something that comes up When people talk about healthy selfishness, it's all about taking, taking more time for yourself, setting more boundaries for yourself, giving yourself permission to enjoy things that you like just for yourself. There, sure there needs to be a little bit of that. But most people are already fine with this. Most people, the vast, vast, vast majority of people. I mean, it's very rare that I see someone who's being completely steamrolled and has been so selfless. There is a natural, a natural selfish instinct that we are born with. When we are kids, we cry. When we're babies, we cry when we're hungry. We don't care if our mom is asleep. We don't care. We don't care if they're tired or they're exhausted. If we want to be held, what do we do? We cry. And you know what? The adult in us comes later, but that child That baby, that selfish person, is still part of us. And, you know, if you're 40 years old, that child has been part of your character for 40 years, whereas that adult may only be around for 20 years. So that selfish part of you has years and years of experience and manipulation, whether it be conscious or unconscious, under its belt. You don't really have to worry about it. The only time that I see that this has that that it really is an issue is if someone has trauma in their past where they've learned to become a submissive person as a means of survival there's usually abuse in their past or if someone has been uh caught in a in an affair and they've kind of had to come crumbling you know c- crawling back begging for forgiveness and the person is holding it over their head i've had one couple where uh Shortly after uh, shortly after the wedding, the person came clean about having a, a drug addiction, and in order to save the marriage, he had to go through a 12-step program and make so many commitments, and she was able to hold it over his head for a decade. And he was tired, and you could sense it, but he knew that she really took a chance on him, and and he felt like he owed it to her to basically do anything and everything she wanted. And so those are situations that are unique where the where people need to learn it's healthy to set certain boundaries and the other partner needs to learn to respect those boundaries. But I would say an over I would say over 80%, it might be as high as 90%. It's it's so common that people know how to assert their own needs that it's something I almost never worry about. So again, when I hear about this nonsense of healthy selfishness and everybody's telling it to each other, it's like, what the heck is going on? That's like telling people you need to wear shoes. How many people do you really need to remind to wear shoes? They walk outside, they realize, ah, it's hot, and they put shoes on. Occasionally, I'll get someone who wears flip-flops and, you know, goes barefoot. Some, okay, tell that guy to wear shoes. But everybody else, you don't, have to t- you don't have to tell them. They'll figure it out. There's a survival aspect here. Another example from the Jewish world that has always kind of struck me as a, a beautiful tradition is when a loved one dies, there's many rituals that happen during the mourning period. In, Ju- in Judaism, in the Orthodox culture, and, and many non-Orthodox cultures observe lots of parts of this mourning tradition, but the, one of the biggest ones is that, is that they cover the mirrors, Because it's not good to even have that sense of vanity. To look in a mirror for seven days after someone died. What do you need to think about yourself? Now is the time to not think about yourself. Sit in the memory of the loved one. I think sometimes it'd be great to practice that sense of selflessness before someone dies. What would a house look like if we didn't have mirrors for a couple days a week? If we didn't worry so much about the way we looked, the way we smelled, the way we presented ourselves, if we just put other people's needs, one day a week even, ahead of our own. Healthy selfishness is definitely an important part of surviving. But again, it's built in. You don't have to worry about it so much unless you have a beaten down person. If you happen to be one of those people that feel like the other person controls your life, then yes, there are issues in your relationship and you need to talk to somebody. Because the chances are, if if you're in one of those relationships where you feel like you have zero control, it's going to be hard for you to do it on your own. So get to a therapist, get to a counselor, get to somebody, talk to a family member, and talk about how you might be feeling trapped. In those cases, healthy selfishness might be something you need to learn. But for most of us, it's just not an issue. If you're interested in learning how to get the absolute most out of your romantic relationships, then you're in luck because I have put together a free workshop or masterclass, if you will, about three secrets that people in happy relationships have discovered. You can view the workshop at mrspirituality.com slash three secrets. Again, it's completely free. Just go there and watch it. It'll help you on your journey, give you some wisdom, some things to think about. The website again is mrspirituality.com slash three secrets. That's mrspirituality.com slash the number three, the word secrets. It's all yours. Enjoy.